Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy. Welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and today we're very happy to have along with us Casey Shepard. This is uh, Casey's first effort uh, for a road podcast, road conversation to share with us. And I think you're going to really enjoy her conversation with Deborah Clark. A few comments from Emery Birdwell, Deborah's husband. They're North Texas ranchers right along the Red River, just a little bit on the other side from Oklahoma proper, uh, just down from Cotton County. They're just a little east of Wichita Falls in North Texas, running a 14,000-acre ranch, a cattle herd. They're all about regenerative agriculture and rotational grazing, especially. We'll hear all about that today. Casey talking with Deborah about their operation. They've been featured on a national documentary called Carbon Cowboys. An interesting story indeed about their efforts to try to rebuild the soil on their ranch over the last decade or so. Today, our Road to Rural Prosperity conversation being powered by Public Service Company of Oklahoma. They've been around since 1913, and they serve 30,000 square miles of eastern and southwestern Oklahoma, headquartered in Tulsa. We're back with Casey, with Deborah Clark, and the story about the Carbon Cowboys in just a few moments on today's Road to Rural Prosperity after these messages. PSO provides electricity service to more than half a million customers across Oklahoma. Increasing reliance on natural gas and renewable energy is our future. Cleaner, more affordable energy to power our lives. A strong Oklahoma economy boosted by new jobs, increased revenues for rural communities and schools. Together, our energy is boundless. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Let's get going now on today's Road to Rural Prosperity. Casey Shepard with us today along the Red River. We're visiting with Deborah Clark. She's a rancher from North Texas, and uh, you guys are in something new called Carbon Cowboys. Can you tell us a little bit, what, what is the Carbon Cowboys, Deborah? Well, you would, I don't think we were one of the original Carbon Cowboys, but uh, Peter Bick and company put together a series of 10 films. Uh, the original Carbon Cowboys are Neil Dennis, Gabe Brown, and Alan Williams. And there might be a, a fourth one in there that I am forgetting this morning. And that first film that Peter did just brought to light what people are doing in the world of regenerative agriculture and why they're doing it. And there was some time after that that uh, we were approached Emery Birdwell, my husband and I were approached to be uh, subjects of another film. That's what Peter's doing is he's going around finding representatives across the United States and Canada at this point who are working in that regenerative ag world. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about that because if, if you haven't heard of this, what actually is regenerative agriculture? Oh, jeepers. I, you know, this is where we are taught uh, or told to be able to have our elevator speech. And uh, frankly, I don't really have one. But the world (laughs) of regenerative ag is looking at the impact that our management in agriculture makes in terms of the bottom line in an environmental, social, and economic worldview. A lot of the focus has been about how our management decisions impact soil health. You know that soil health is very, um, is a very trendy topic right now. It's, you can Google it and you will pull up hundreds of articles and speakers and presentations. But our world is beginning to understand that our management decisions and how we graze, raise livestock, grow crops, impact soil health. Well, one of the cool things that you guys are doing is you have different grazing strategies, and it almost sounds like if you're talking like to a, a traditional farmer, it almost kind of sounds crazy, but talk a little bit about how you guys do this on the daily basis and get better results for your cattle. When we came to this ranch, uh, I didn't know a thing about ranching. I'd been married to Emery Birdwell for about 15 years. We came to this ranch, and so all the credit I give to him in terms of the grazing management and the decisions that were made, he saw that this ranch, which was a good ranch, it still had about 25% bare ground. And one of the ways he ascertained that we could turn that around quickly was to be a full-time stalker operation. So we bring in cattle. um, we, We look at our cattle as a tool to improve forage conditions, soil, and soil health. We use those cattle to, um, to move from paddock to paddock. We don't move cattle for the sake of moving cattle. We move cattle to increase animal performance and to help us improve the condition of our rangeland conditions. How that evolved over time is that we condensed, during the drought, we had three herds. Prior to the drought and during the drought, we had three herds. When we were running out of grass and water, we opted to sell one of those herds and combine the other two. That was the beginning of our first big herd. To me, when I was watching you guys do these kinds of things on TV, I thought, man, this is just so much more work because of the fencing situation and the moving of the cattle. But I would guess that the cattle kind of figure it all out and get used to the concept. Well, there is an an initial uh, effort to put in infrastructure. Um, we say now that when we first moved here, we put in 150 miles of single strand um, hot, hot or high tensile wire. Right now, if we had it to do over again, we would do a lot more with just step in post and poly wire so that we could continue, we could be even more flexible than we are now. We took this ranch that was 14,000 acres and had about 12 large pastures divided it up with that 150 miles into about 125 smaller paddocks. And out with those smaller paddocks, using polywire, we can divide that up into as many as 350 grazing units, uh, or mini, uh, M-I-N-I, I call them mini paddocks. And we can move the cattle through those mini paddocks, or through those paddocks, in an effort to get the cattle for high-density, short-duration grazing. That is our, our aim. So how long do they stay on each paddock before you move them on to the next? Uh, okay, and again, a, a myth that we need to dispel. It's not a prescription. 
what you are looking at the quality and the quantity of the forage in front of you as well as what you're leaving behind and uh, so that any given paddock but but to try to provide a visual for our listeners any given paddock may be grazed anywhere from a couple of hours to overnight okay and so do you find that you end up with um twice as many grazing days because you have kind of a better option for the cattle to graze and then you can move them off easier? Well, certainly you're increasing the, you're increasing the paddocks that you're able to graze in a, in the slow growth season, like in our winter season, we may not any given paddock on the ranch will not have any grazing on it for up to 150 days or so. And during the fast growing season, that period between grazing episodes can be as short as 40, 45 days. We're just trying to take advantage in the fast growing season. We're trying to take advantage uh, when we have good rainfall events and the forage is growing. We want to be able to get on that forage, take advantage of it in terms of what our, our cattle can consume, as well as take as well as get in front of it so that we can use that forage to uh, trample it, put it back on the ground so that it it becomes an armor or some folks call it litter. It becomes a protection for the soil. Well, you're from Texas. We're here in Oklahoma, so we both know what severe weather looks like. We know what drought looks like and too much rain and all of those, you know, we get the, we run the gamut of weather situations. Do you find that this is really helpful going through those drought seasons and severe weather seasons for the the cattle? Yes, our we tell folks our most productive, profitable year was the uh, was it the sec- it was the second or third year of the drought, um, which we did not have other than selling off that one herd and learning how to learning how to manage a single herd. We actually increased numbers through the drought. Um, and what we found, what's important to note is that. All the while, while we were increasing numbers, or at least maintaining numbers, we were improving forage conditions. Our bare ground that had been about 25% when we arrived here in 2004, we've decreased it. Um, We think we have about 5% bare ground now on the ranch. So speak to a little bit about the science behind that, because some, some people that have done it the traditional way for a long time, it doesn't make sense how rotational grazing might help when a drought is coming through, but it actually benefits the land so you get better uh, forage going forward. Okay, well, I, I, Emery happened to walk in, and I'm going to get him to help me answer that question. He's in here. He walked in. He's, he's eating popcorn, but I'm, I'm going to tap You tell him, him to come on over here. we got some stuff I to am. ask him. I am. So, Emery, this is Casey, and uh, would you uh, – Casey's question is, what's the science behind uh, why rotational grazing or managed grazing has uh, favorable impacts over conventional grazing? Would that be the question, Casey? Yes, absolutely. Great job, Deborah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Casey, this is Emery. Hi. It all goes back and where this is when people started studying the way it used to be when the grass was hip high or head high, and it was back in the days of the buffalo where there's thousands and thousands, thousands of them ran in one herd along with the elk and the antelope and deer and whatever else. And so we Exactly, Alan Savory started putting it together. It was about animal impact, and you had to have an animal impact 
but along with animal impacts, you had to have the rest. You had to have an adequate rest. And the rest is to be different from here to 100 miles from here or even closer, but you have to know what your rest is for your area. Along the road to rural prosperity today, we're talking with Deborah Clark and her husband Emery from North Texas. They're part of a new documentary series of short films about groundbreaking farmers who have invented a new way to graze their animals. We're back with more on the road to rural prosperity in just a few minutes. For over a century, Public Service Company of Oklahoma has served more than half a million Oklahomans and is committed to providing reliable and affordable energy to power the next generation. PSO continues to increase their reliance on natural gas and renewable energy like wind because when natural gas and wind work together, all of Oklahoma benefits. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. Well, welcome back to this week's Road to Rural Prosperity, where we've traveled a little south of the Red River to speak with Deborah Clark and her husband Emery about grazing strategies and regenerative agriculture. When using these particular methods, that can sometimes mean that you don't even have to bale hay if you don't want to. Well, I was watching some of the uh, the episodes, and I was uh, shocked to hear about um, the, the hay situation. Like, you can actually get rid of haying if you don't want to do hay anymore uh, by doing this uh, grazing management. Well, yes, it ends up being we're stockpiling. We plan on we stockpile enough grass during the growing season for next year, and it's not just us doing this. This is further north you go, the more you get into people who have gotten away. Even up in the northern states, have gotten away from hand just due to their grazing program. So maybe um, that notion—that go, go uh, notion of rest may need a little bit of clarification. We're talking about. If you if you allow the cattle to keep going back and eating off of the the grass or the forbs that they prefer, eventually they're gonna eventually they're gonna kill out the root system. When we're moving them, we're they're moving to a new paddock, so that leaves the plants of time to rest, quote rest, so that the root systems can uh, grow again, and you can start that whole process of photosynthesis all over again and bring that organic matter and carbon down into the soil. So that's that notion of rest. You're giving your grasses and forbs time to regrow along with their root structures. Are there different ways of doing this? Because I heard a couple of the guys talking about mid-grazing and some other folks talking about strip grazing. What's the biggest differences? It's an area that you're allowed. Strip grazing more back east or in the higher rainfall area would be my guess. I don't do it. We don't do it. But uh, here we're using bigger paddocks and allowing, and it would probably be allowed for more time to come back or more time to rest. What benefits have your cattle seen from this? Are you guys getting higher dollars for your calves? No, we probably what we're doing is getting higher dollars per acre because we're we're running more cattle. We're running twice as many cattle, maybe three times as much cattle as somebody else across the fence. And then we accomplished it. It's not something you accomplish overnight. It's over a period of time that we get to where we can do that. How does this help with uh, the parasites in cattle or does it? There are some who believe that it's helped. So far, we haven't seen that. Uh, and it's hard to judge the, the par- internal parasite 
population, whether you're affected or not, and probably are to some extent. Uh, and supposedly, if you go, you stay going long enough, you have an effect on the flies. I haven't seen that yet either. What are some of the biggest arguments you say, like you guys here, because you're doing things a different way and you've got people that, it, you know, that they think their way's right. What are the biggest arguments you hear against this type of uh, grazing management? Well, people think, I guess maybe they think it's too, too expensive to establish or, or it's too much labor and that neither one is true when you figure you're, what you're, the outcome will be. But and it's amazing here that the people that know the most about what we do are the ones that's driving up and down the highway. It's very few people come in here that claim to know what, what's going on. It's when they get in there, they realize there's more to it than what they think. But it's amazing how many windshield cowboys there are in the world. <laughs> well, that could be said for just about anything nowadays, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it could. It could. And and Emory alluded, and you you asked this question initially. Um, there is there is labor involved because you have to be here to move the cattle. But uh, as compared to continuous grazing operation, however, the total number of people that work here, we have besides Emory, and we've in the last two years we've hired two other uh, men that have come on board to work with us: Scott Graham and Shane Hingos. And that's less, I'm not needed out there anymore, almost never, other than when, what we do in terms of pro, health protocol when cattle are first being received. But we are able to do this and um, with a minimal number of labor on the ranch. In terms of our business model, our cattle are all sold for the most part during the summer. And then we have an extended break where we're allowing both the rangeland to rest um, and people to rest until we start buying cattle again in the fall. What would you guys say to somebody that's, um, you know, used, used to doing it the tr- traditional way, but they're interested in trying out the new way? How would you even get started in this? Uh, you'd visit somebody who, who is doing it, but then you would go to school and be trained in it or go to seminars or something. You'd go somewhere where some other, somebody else knows something about it because if you don't get it through your head, it, it's about animal impact and rest you will fail. And you can't you can't increase your numbers till you've increased your grass and you can't graze too fast unless you gra- let your gra- grass grow back. But you at the same time you have to have the intensity to improve your ground. You even without the herd impact you will eventually improve your grasses, but you won't achieve the maximum until you've had the herd intensity. So it's not an overnight process by any means. This is going to take a little bit. Right. And, and there are all sorts of grazing schools that are now being taught with an emphasis on soil health. Um, some of the Carbon Cowboys have started. The original Carbon Cowboys have an organization called Understanding Ag. That's one. You can go to the Savory Institute, to Holistic Management International. Um, there is another uh, ranching for profit so there are numerous, and, and I'm not even telling you about uh, all of the other kinds of individual grazing workshops that are put on. Um, the Stockman Grass Farmer lists tons of workshops. But again, it's not something you learn overnight and, um, and really need to understand all of the moving parts because it goes back to the impact of your management decisions. 
Well, I would assume this would be like something you would need to talk together with like your, your everybody that's on the farm and whether it's a doable strategy for you and then kind of put a plan in place to go forward if you're truly serious about making that change. Certainly, you want to share the vision and the goal for the operation where you work. Um, and and that, that's vital. Everybody has to be on board. I think another important factor is if anybody were to watch our, look at our websites or read about us, we, we, we're kind of like moving on steroids. We, we have a very aggressive uh, grazing management plan. But you don't have to move as much as we do in order to make an impact. The issue is, as Emery said, it is about animal impact and rest and, and moving, moving your cattle so that they are not continuously grazed in one, any one area is a prime benefit, no matter what pace you start to learn to do it in. What are the biggest benefits that you guys have seen with this change? Well, I mean, the biggest benefit is what we've seen here on the ranch. The change, the, the moving from 25% bare ground to less than 5%. The diversity of grasses. At, when we first moved here, this was just pasture after pasture of little blue stem. And now we have all of the major prairie grasses and a, a big diversity of forbs. We're holding water on this ranch. Uh, when, if it rains on this ranch, we are absorbing it due to the litter and the uh, protective covering that's here. It's, there's not runoff. I can't say there's no runoff, but there, we, the runoff is minimal. The water that does fall on this ranch is filtered through that, that layer of litter so that when it does get into the aquifers, it's clean. Um, other benefits, Emory? Well, yes, he said he, he's, he's gone back to work on his computer and his grazing plan right now. And we know so, he has that popcorn. We know what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, he took the popcorn off with him. So but what he, if you didn't hear him from across the room, which he, he is rarely ever in this office, let me tell you that. But he said um, that we have doubled and tripled. We started this ranch with 2,000 hen, and now we, we will bring between seven and 8,000 head of cattle into this ranch. Some of those go out on wheat pastures. Some of those eventually go to Kansas on grass pastures. But we keep a base herd here of between four and 5,000 that we run annually. How can we watch you guys on TV? Do you have a specific episode or are you featured in just some different ones of the Carbon Cowboys or tell us where we can see you guys? Yes. And, and let me clarify. Emery's last name is Birdwell. So he, he is not a Clark. Okay. So it's Emery okay. Birdwell and, and Deborah Clark. On the Carbon Cowboy website, you will see uh, photos that are tied to states where the ranchers are located. And you can click on that. So, for instance, if you go to the Carbon Cowboy website, you can click on Texas and you will see the video that Peter Bick and his wonderful crew uh, did here at the ranch. There are episodes from um, New Mexico and Canada and the Plains and Alabama so and Georgia. So you will be able to see those folks that were truly pioneers in this. Uh, we, we don't claim to be the pioneers, um, but there are folks that are out there that are, that are truly uh, uh, inspirational in terms of how they have handled their ranching and farming operations. Emery's adding something from across the room again. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah Emery, Emery, I do have to give him credit for this. He started, uh, he started studying under Savory in the 80s. 
So he's been developing his grazing plans even way before it was ever called regenerative ag or sustainable ag. So he's been doing this since the 1980s, trying to learn and, and, and perfect the, the craft and learn from his mistakes. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing more of you. Thank, thank you. And yes, we ha- I, I didn't answer your question, but yeah, I, come, go visit Peter Bick's Carbon Cowboy website. It's just a wonderful resource. And from there, you'll be able to, to click onto the individual ranches. And from those ranches, most of them have websites that you can go on and further your exposure to this whole world. Thank you so much, Casey. We've been speaking to a couple of the Carbon Cowboys, Deborah Clark and her husband, Emery, for this week's Road to Rule Prosperity. Thanks to everyone listening, and we'll catch you next time. I'm Casey Shepard on this week's Road to Rural Prosperity. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.